0: It's not been easy, but there's a peace and a joy and a hope that comes from living a life for Christ and actually having a relationship with him that doesn't come from anywhere else. Looking back at how miserable I was, and the depression and the fear and anxiety and the hopelessness of my past, and the dramatic difference that there is today when I actually know Jesus, I'm actually pursuing a relationship with him and living my life for him on this mission. I just can't imagine going a day without him like i would never want to live the way i was before christ through my coming to church and my relationship with jesus it was pressed upon my heart to forgive my father god has shown me (laughs) shown me how beautiful i am from the inside god has shown me what a heart, a true heart of love really is. God has shown me no matter where my skin goes and lays and hangs or whatever shade it is or how many spots I have, God has shown me it does not matter. Um, What matters is that I love him. And I remember during that season I said to him, that if you are willing to walk with me during the most difficult and darkest and most desperate times of my life, that I will follow you for the rest of my life. Christ replaced this problem in me. I had to have peace again. As I am now, I'm going always to the church. I'm also advising others who have the same grievances like the way I used to have. So I see Nicodemus and he no longer views the other tribes as enemies. He views them as objects of the grace of Christ and they candidates of heaven. And that's why he has now the desire to, to reach out to the other villages as his friends. The weeks following that moment with Jesus looked different. It was a time that I felt God's unconditional love and his grace, and I felt forgiven. And I felt like he was just embracing me and just whispering, welcome back. Like, we're supposedly have, we have new life, right? It really does feel like that. Like, looking back two years ago, it's like that person was dead in that water, you know? And it's like, really, like, the picture of baptism is just beautiful. Like, you know, you, you go out and you're, you're buried in this grave, and then you're resurrected. And it's like, looking back, like, that was a completely different person, you know? And, uh, man... I felt whole, I felt like my heart was put back together, like he was holding it in his hands and he just took all the broken pieces and glued them back up. God gets all the glory in my story. Um, You know, to be brave is to man up and be the man that God made you to be who is not weak like I thought I was, but strong in Christ. I can't imagine what my life would be right now if I hadn't had a place that I could go to to meet an authentic Jesus. And not only that, I can't even imagine what my family legacy would be like. I can't imagine who my daughters would be right now if it wasn't centered in Christ. You'll be telling a testimony about how I overcame. Because that's what Jesus does. He takes the broken and makes it whole. I thought out just like you, I thought I was a loser. But you're not a loser. You're a winner. You're a winner. Well, we wanted to start that, the service with that video because those stories are the kind of stories that happen when someone finally puts their full trust in Jesus. In fact, those are the, the only way those kind of stories are, are told is the kind of victory that happens when, when people um, find Jesus through his church. It's what happens when a group like us create a safe, welcoming, loving environment for people to come and explore faith and who God is and are welcomed to a place that feels like Family. Which leads me to a truth today that I want to just start out with and, and, uh, and, and share with you because as we go through the day, this will make more and more sense. And what we're doing will make more and more sense. And what we're going to ask you to do at the end of the service will make more and more sense. But here is the truth. The church is where most people will accept Jesus for the first time. In this area, in central Florida where we live, if someone's going to accept Christ and be saved, it's most likely going to happen in a church. That's why it's so important that you are inviting your friends, neighbors, and co workers here on Sunday mornings because most of the people in this area are going to accept Jesus in a church. Now, how are they going to meet Jesus? You, your driveway, your birthday party for your kids your conversations about real things in work, but where are they gonna accept Jesus most often? It will be here. That's a huge part of the vision of of our church. And I wanna talk vision for a few minutes about, about us. Now, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin Valentine, I'm the lead pastor here. And I'll just tell you a little bit of our vision is to be the place that unsaved people show up on Sunday mornings and experience church and Jesus in a way they never have before and they never thought possible. We want to break paradigms here on Sunday mornings of what church is supposed to be. And, uh, and, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, we're a little different than a lot of churches around here. Um, that is on purpose. We want to take time in our services to earn the right to be heard. We want to be relevant. We want to invite people regularly into relationship with Jesus Christ on Sunday mornings. We value, we value laughter. We value honesty. We value brokenness from the platform. It's just one of the ways that's kind of who we are, and we know that if you will be faithful in bringing your friends, neighbors, and co-workers here who don't know God, that God's kingdom will grow as he adds to our numbers on a regular basis those who are saying, just like the people in that video, I've found victory in my life through Jesus Christ. And so today is an important day. You're here on a very important day for us. It's a next step for us as a church um, into moving into the new Cypress Center, which is being built. On the other side, well, it's actually done being built. On the other side of this campus, Um, next month, we are going to be moving into a brand-new $13 million building that's going to literally change the way our church happens on Sunday mornings. And this is a big step because after this service, we're going to invite you to not only be on one of our volunteer teams, but we're going to go here to the cafeteria, we're going to have lunch for you, and then we're going to take tours through the new building and do some actual volunteer training um, today so that when we get into that new building, we're actually ready to be there because we know what we're doing when we get over there. And so I want you to take that and I want you to just put it on the back back shelf for the next little while. We're going to come back to it. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind: the church is where most people will accept Jesus for the first time. That's why we are. That's why we're doing what we're doing today, and that's a lot of the reason um, why we do this every Sunday morning. So put that on the back burner. We're going to come back to that, and I'll jump into kind of the, the the meat of the day. We're in week four of a series called Shift, and the heart behind this series is something that God wants for you and for me, and that will drastically change your life. And you find what that is. Um, it's a world shift in the way we think in Romans twelve two, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. He's speaking to the church and he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And uh, Paul is just revealing something about every single human being, and that is this our beliefs drive our behaviors. Um, he's, re- he's saying, look, if you want to transform into a new person, if you want to transform into a better person, if you want to transform into the, the, the man or woman that God designed you to be when he created you, it starts with changing the way you think. That's where transformation begins. So, this week, we're talking about victory. We've talked about one word each week, I and mean, you can go back and watch any of the last weeks online, but this week, we're talking about victory, and before we jump in, I want to pray for us, because I believe that God has something specific for you this morning. It doesn't matter if you were here for the first time in church in, in decades, or you have been coming every week. I believe God has something specific and, and for your life To your life. And so I want to invite him to speak this morning. So pray with me. Jesus, I pray right now that you would um, just descend on this place, God. I pray that you would fill it up with your presence. And God, I pray that you would just take out of our minds and our hearts all the thoughts and distractions and um, things that are keeping us from hearing your voice, Lord. I pray that you would just clear out the underbrush so we may hear from you what only you can do, and that is through one message. Speak to each one of us individually exactly what we need to hear from you. God, this is a holy moment. I invite you into it. I invite you to speak, and I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your voice. In your holy name, amen. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to talk theology. And uh, we're going to talk theology for a little bit because in the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote the first three um, chapters. It's a six-chapter book. He focused on belief, kind of what you believe and how you think. Um, It's kind of more theology, what you understand about God. Then I want to talk about why you're here, um, one, on the planet, and two, in the seat you're sitting in, um, and three, um, and then I want to invite you to jump in jump into what God's doing here. And so that's kind of, what, kind of the order of what we're going to do. And uh, we're, so we're, let's start with a little bit of theology, how you think and how we think about God. Um, and I want to talk about victory. So when you think of a victory in your life, what's victory? What's a victory in your life? Um, what's a win in your life? If I were to sit down with you eye to eye, knee to knee, and I was to just go, what does winning feel like in your life right now? How do you find victory, victory in your life? What would your answer be? And I'll just tell you, for a lot of people, um, it's being happy. That's what a lot of people would answer. What's a win in your life? What's victory look like? Well, it's being happy, and I've been pursuing happiness my whole life, and I haven't quite got it. I've got fleeting glances of it, uh, glimpses of it, but never really found it long-term. So happiness for others, victory in their life is becoming rich. Um, For some, it's landing the dream job or getting the dream guy or the dream girl or having the dream body. Um, It's getting into the right college. I did this on purpose um, right here. Uh, Getting into the right college, um, making straight A's. uh, For a lot of parents, victory for their kids is that their kids grow up and they're happy and they're successful. Um, Whatever they do, that's what parents want as victory. And I want to just say that all of those things are great, there's nothing wrong with any of those, but when it comes to how a Christian thinks about victory in their life, there's a certain way that God speaks through Paul to us about what we believe about that. And when you accept Christ, there is a foundational shift in your life. Here's the thing. I want to talk about theology. I know not all of you in this room have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, you're here checking out the God thing, which is really cool because this theology part of the message is so foundational to what it even means to follow God and understand him that I'm excited to share with you. So tune in. And then for those of you that do believe, this is kind of a foundational shift in the way you think that god wants you to have as it pertains to victory in your life but we got to go through some theology first so let's jump in ephesians 2 um, chapter uh, chapter 2 verse 1 once in the past you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, what Paul is alluding to here is something that you and I, um, we know intuitively, but we don't necessarily think about very often, and that is this. There is a spiritual realm, and in that realm, there is a spiritual battle going on, and it is God and his army, angels and Satan and his army, demons, and they are fighting as we speak in a world we cannot see, but we can sense and hear. And that battle is for the hearts and minds of you and me, of all humans around the entire globe. That's the spiritual battle that's going on. Paul's just saying, hey, don't forget. Verse, verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. What's Paul saying? Because uh, saying, before we met Jesus, if you have met him, You used to live in sin. Now, sin is this thing that a lot of people don't like the word. Um, Let me just make it really simple. Sin is simply choosing your way over God's way. It's simply going, God, I know what's right. I know intuitively often, but I I, I know enough to know what's right and what's wrong, and I'm going to choose to do things my way, the wrong way, not your way. Um, I'm going to make that choice right now. God just says, look, when you do that, when you divert from my way of living life, that is called sin, Paul's saying you used to live that way, doing whatever brought pleasure, riches, happiness, peace, or victory into your life. Whether it was God's way or not, you used to do that. And you experienced the consequences of those choices. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him, with Christ, in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And you know what Paul is doing? He is theologically, step by step, walking us through salvation. Your sin has made you dead, spiritually disconnected from God. Yet Jesus died for you even though you didn't care about him. Jesus died for you even though you mock people who follow follow him. Jesus died for you before you ever had a thought about there being a God. Jesus died for you when you were were not interested in anything having to do with him and interested in everything about getting whatever it is you needed so that you felt good about your life. And he didn't do that because you deserved it, but because he loves us. And then what Paul is also saying is when someone accepts the truth of Jesus into their heart, They invite him in. They actually become united with Jesus and inherit the kingdom of God for eternity. And then he says, look, that in and of itself is an example of the wealth and grace and kindness that God has towards you and me. And I know some of you in here, all you've known your whole life is God is a tyrant. God is condemning. God looks down on you. He points out every fault. He wants nothing to do with you. In fact, the fact that you're here, God's mad at you because you came to church because you're not allowed in here. I know that that's some of you in here. And Paul is just saying... Don't you understand that Jesus already died for you past tense, and he has revealed the grace and kindness and love that Jesus already has for you? When he was on that cross, you were in his mind. Whether you believe or not, it didn't matter to him. He just loves you like a dad. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for that. It's actually a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And Paul's just saying, don't give in to religion, which is thinking that you can earn salvation or work your way to heaven or to God. You can't. The only thing you can do is accept it. You can accept it like a gift because God's already given it to you through Jesus. And then he concludes this passage with a verse that many of us miss when it comes to faith. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. I'm going to hit the pause button there because for some of you, that, those five words are what you need to hear this morning. You're God's masterpiece because I know some of you in here, you feel like you are broken, damaged goods You feel like you're unworthy of anybody loving you. You feel like you're a failure. You feel like all you do is miss the mark. And Satan's in your ear telling you what a terrible person you are. You just need to hear this morning that you are God's masterpiece. He stepped back when he made you, and he just said, perfect. It's exactly what I was looking for. And he has created us anew, going on to verse 10, in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. That he planned for us long ago, meaning this, there is a reason that God reached out to you and saved you if you've accepted him, because he has a purpose for your life beyond understanding. He created you new in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things he planned long ago, meaning he planned for you long before you were born and had a purpose for you before you ever showed up on this planet. And it is individual, and it is specific to you and your life right now. And it is beyond your DNA. Your DNA makes you unique from every person that's ever been born on this planet to from every person that will ever be born on this planet. You are a one of one. There will never be another you, ever. It's not possible. So it's separate from just your DNA that makes you, uh, that makes you uh, different that's tied into your existence and why you're here. There's something about your life that God has planned long ago that if you don't carry out, no one else can. It is you and you alone. You're it. You're the only one on planet Earth that can do what God's put you here. And so through a godly worldview, through a godly paradigm, there is purpose in your making and there is a mission attached to your life. It was made for you, and you were made for it. There's a uniqueness to you. It's the beautiful combination of your specific path growing up, your genetic code, the spe- your special ability to process thoughts, the way God made your mind, the way your personality works, the depth of your connection to Jesus, the deeper it gets, the more God is able to use you in this mission that he's got for you, and then the spiritual gifts that God has placed in you when he created you. When all of those are put together, you begin to get a glimpse of how you are a one-of-one that God has a specific mission and purpose for, and when you get into the second half of Ephesians, where he says the first three chapters are about belief, we just walked through theology, he then in the second three chapters starts getting into behave, how do we live this out? Paul begins to talk about what we are called as the church. And he doesn't call us the church. He actually calls us something different. And he uses the name interchangeably with the church. Ephesians 4.15, he said, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit perfectly together as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, For those of you that have, not everybody in here has, but when you accepted Jesus, you became a part of something bigger than yourself called the body of Christ, the church. You became a part of the movement of Christ followers on this planet, and God has called you to take your uniqueness and your giftedness and use that to support, build up, and lead the movement that Jesus wants to see happen through the church. To do this, it requires that you do something. It requires that you get involved in the church in a consistent, sincere, gift-centered way. And I'm telling you, when you do that, it is life-changing. And I'll just tell you through my story. Actually, getting involved in the church is what took my life that where I thought my life was going and changed the direction of it in the best way possible. In 1991, 1999, I would say 1999, I was 17 years old. Unfortunately, in 1991, I was 17 years old, Okay. Um, I graduated high school, moved to Texas, to Michigan to play golf for Oakland University in Auburn Hills, Michigan. I started going to this church called Kensington in Troy, Michigan, and it was one of the weirdest things I've ever been to. It was unlike any church I had ever experienced. Um, The music was great. They actually played rock and roll in church, which I had never seen. They did dramas that made me laugh. The messages were up there, and when the guys were talking uh, from the stage, I could actually relate. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and it's like if you did anything wrong, you were struck by lightning, or you were just like, you were, you, were, you were killed by some other terrible thing, and you got in trouble in church if you did that. Well, here, I'm in a place where people are laughing, there's joy, they're playing music that I love, um, the messages were relevant, I became a regular attender, and was perfectly content doing what you're doing right now, sitting in my seat, watching the game that they were putting on me. You know, what they would do on Sundays was unbelievable, until one Sunday, they did the unthinkable, they actually invited the entire room, everybody in there... To get out of the seat and into the game. No one had ever done that in that point in my life. No one had ever done that to me, invited me to get out of the seat that I sat in or the pew I sat in in high school in my, in my Southern Baptist church and get into the game. They said, You can stand, at, you can sit and watch the service happen or you can make the service happen. You can sit and watch the church happen around you or you can come in with us and help us make the church happen. And that struck a chord so deep within me as a 17 year old freshman in college, I jumped in with both feet. I became a part of the tech team Um, over the next five years of my life. I then became the stage manager. I started working with the junior high and eventually high school students. I served in multiple ministries while in college, while having a job to have extra spending money, while playing on the golf team with Oakland University, being gone two to four days a week during the golf season. I was out of town on golf tournaments. And I started doing something for the first time in my life that began to change my life. I began to give my life away for the sake of Christ. I'd never done it before in my life. I just began to give my life away. I gave up my time, my energy, my focus to serve others through the church. And I started finding something incredible that the more I gave up, the more I felt alive. I found that the more I served, the more I grew, the more I gave, the more I experienced purpose. The more I served, the more fulfillment I had deep down in my soul. And that fulfillment started to transcend the other things that were going on in my life. It was something that was just other than. It was something that I couldn't explain how it worked by my pouring out of myself. I received so much more and I started to experience the truth of Jesus' words in Matthew 10. He says if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. If you hold on to your life with everything you got and you won't let it go and it's all about you and all about your life and all about your needs and all about your things, you're going to lose all of that at some point in your life. But if you will give up your life for me, you will find life. It's so backwards because we think if we grab on, we'll get it. And Jesus say, no, if you let go, you get it. And you get more than you could ever think of. And so the more I gave up my life for Jesus, I found that I found life. And Kensington began to change. My church experience began to change because Kensington wasn't the church I went to anymore. It became my church. <laughs> It became like, no, this is what I do. I own this thing. I've got a role. I've got a mission. And I'm going to work on that through the, 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 uh, the serving in the church. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Not full time. I was still in college. I still wanted to go play on, on, the, on the PGA Tour. That's where I was headed. But I had this other theme running through my life. And I can't understate this. My life began to change because for the first time in my life, I was an active part of the mission that Jesus has called every single one of us to to tell the world about who he is. First time in my life I was ever an active part of the mission of the church. And it began to change me. I began to sense God actually working through me, which was bizarre because I'm like, I'm just me, right? God can't use me, but he, he could. And, and I, I can't believe how fast in just a sh- few short years what happened in my life is I went from this um, shy, quiet kid. And I know you might be thinking, really? Yeah, I was a wallflower growing up. I just was. I didn't like groups of people. I'd never spoken in front of anybody. Um, and, and it's like I went from this shy, quiet kid that didn't really have a place to belong anywhere to being a part of this vibrant family of people that shaped me and molded me into a man of God, into a leader, into a teacher, through those years of just serving, into a man of living his life on purpose and on mission for whatever God had for me. And God wants that for every single one of us. And so I want to give you three reasons why you're important to this church and why this moment is so so important. And before I give them to you, I want to invite the ushers up, and we're going to receive our offering right now. And so I want to ask you, uh, for those of you that are new, let the basket go by. We're not interested in your money. Uh, Believe it or not, right? We're not interested in your money. Next week, 20 bucks. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. Um, No, just let the basket go by. We're just really grateful that you're here. Um, For those of you that call Kensington home, this is really one of those moments where we say to God, thank you for all the blessings we have, and we give back a portion of what we've been given back to him. And it is really a way of, of, of saying, hey, I'm going to lose my life, even financially, for the sake of God, and hopefully find it through that. So um, while we're doing that, I want to give you three reasons quickly, um, while, uh, because we are going to end our service early, okay? Just so you know, we're going to end our service about 10 minutes early today and give you time to talk to some of our team leaders. Um, I'm going to attempt to do this. I failed last service. I'm pretty much going to fail this service, but we're going to end early. Um, but let me give you three reasons why this moment is important and you're important to this church. And the first one is this, you have a unique fit. You have a unique fit. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. now you, speaking to all of you, are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Speaking to your unique fit. If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. If the ear says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. I love that phrase. Because that means God had a hand in your design and giving you a part in his body. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And the visual here is just saying, look at your body, how it all works together. Do you know how many things need to work perfectly in sync together for me to do this? Like, do you realize that? Like, just to do that. It requires my body, all kinds of different parts to work together. And Paul is saying, don't you understand that every part's necessary for it to function correctly? And so what Paul is saying to you and I today is that God has a specific purpose and place for you within this body. This church without you and you without us, we are incomplete and incapable of doing what God has called us to do. On top of that, your uniqueness has taken up another level in Scripture. If you're a believer, when you accept Jesus, there's a spirit. There's spiritual gifts inside of you that get activated by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 1 Corinthians 12.4 There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. The spiritual gift, a spiritual gift is given to each of us Every one of you have a spiritual gift, at least one, if not more. So we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice to another. The same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. To someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. It is, one, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. In this room, there are gifts of leadership, of teaching, prayer, giving, hospitality, administration, helps, wisdom, evangelism. I think there's 28 that are listed in Scripture that are unique to each one of us in this room. So here's homework. Go to Google and type in spiritual gifts found in the Bible. Learn what they are. And there's actual spiritual surveys you can take. uh, There's there's surveys you can take um, that are about spiritual gifts and help you kind of come up with two or three. In fact, one of my ideas was, hey, guys, let's do a spiritual gift survey in the service right there. And then we looked one up. It was 120 questions. And it's like, okay, let's not do that. But wouldn't it be cool if we could, right? So we moved on from there. But this is where following Jesus becomes really fun because you begin to realize not only why you're here to give up your life for him, but you find out what he's called you to do and what gifts he's given you to use within the church. And I'll tell you, just one of my, just real quick, one of my gifts is teaching. Didn't find out about that till my late teens, early 20s. And all that means is this, is that when I sit up and I teach God's word in front of people, there are people out there that hear from God. And every week I had people come and say, it was like you were talking right to me. And I'm like, well, I wasn't, but God was through me, because there's a supernatural um, there's there's something supernatural that happens when I use this spiritual gift that God gave me to teach his word that I can't explain. And so when people say that to me, I just go, thank you so much. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, God, thank you for doing what I ask you to do because I don't know what you need, but God does. And I pray every week that He would speak through me to you and activate that spiritual gift. Well, you have gifts like that. You have a unique fit. Number two, um, uh, the, the set of gifts that the Holy Spirit gave to you means you have a significant role to play. You have a significant role to play here. If we don't have you serving and using your gifts here in this church, we miss out as a church. If you don't serve and use your gifts in this church, the people that are on the team that you are supposed to be on, they miss out on the community that you bring. And not only that, you miss out on a community that God might want to wrap around you and use to grow your faith. And so I'm hoping some of you will jump onto one of our teams today. And then there's one more reason why um, it's important that you serve at this church. And that's this, serving is discipleship. I'll just say this, if you want to grow spiritually, if there's a part of you that goes, man, I need to take a next step with God. For some of you, that next step is getting on one of our serving teams and starting to give your life away. That's it. That's your next step. Serving is obeying God, putting your faith into motion. It's the, it's the behave part of Ephesians. It's the first three. First three are like, hey, this is how I want you to think and this is what I want you to do. Paul says, be the, bo- the body of Christ. Be the part of the body that God has called you to be. Put your energy into something bigger than yourself that's eternal. If you want to grow spiritually, one of the key pieces of that, because you can't grow without it, is serving and using your gifts for the kingdom. It's one of the most effective ways I've found to grow spiritually. That's why our mission statement is to see everyone transformed and mobilized. So, um, uh, Tina, go ahead and send the band out. We'll We'll go ahead and get them set up as I kind of wrap this up. Our mission statement is to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just transform the way people think. Jesus regularly said to people, he said, hey, come follow me and learn who I am and what I'm really like. And then almost as fast as they came to follow him, he would say, now go. Go and do what you see me doing. Go and use your skills and your gifts and create new churches. Go and use your gifts and your skills and tell people about the gospel. He mobilized them. He transformed the way they thought, and then he mobilized them. And they began to serve each other and serve the poor and and reach those far from Jesus. This is the place where God uses our God-given talents and gifts and resources to impact eternity. And he uses them outside of the church, but this body of Christ, that's us. And God chose you to be here. This is where we collectively meet the needs of the world. And this is part of victory in Christ. You know what's a win? is when you find out why you're here and then you go do it. That's victory. It's when you find out what God put you on this planet for and what he's gifted you to do. And then you use those gifts to help people find out who he is. And that's the invite. And the invite is huge. Um, here, because we have a unique moment in our church history to move into a brand new building. When you move into a brand new building, do you know how many people God brings to see new things? And we want to capitalize on that by being able to serve them to the best of our ability in our kids' ministries and in our parking team and in our security side of things, so that we can welcome them and say, welcome to our family so that they might meet Jesus Christ. I've been telling our team this it's like of all the churches God could have put here to move into that new building God chose us and in choosing us that means God chose you and so here's the invite we need all hands on deck for next month when we move into that building and I think it's your opportunity to step up and serve for some of you for the first time And so over the next few minutes, we're gonna sing a song together. And while we're doing that, I just want you to do business with God if you need to. And I want you to just wrestle with this question. If you're not currently volunteering and serving in this church, where does God want you to jump in and are you willing to do it? And if you are serving currently in the church right now, are you willing to make a commitment for the rest of this school year to serving every other week and attending one and serving one? And I want you to wrestle that down with God.